It's November 5th, 2022, and this is episode 16 of The Mike Newman Show. Coming at you once again from our favorite North Austin eatery, uh, where Tim and I sit down and uh, talk about kind of what's on our mind. And today we decided to focus in on Tim's early um, employment, let's put it that way, basically starting a, a bit of a discussion, a review. One of the things we wanted to do in our recordings over time is chronicle some of the unique aspects of Tim's career, the opportunities that uh, came before him, and just the unique period in history, if you will, uh, that he felt, um, and and I think rightly so, I'm just blessed to be in that position to work on those things uh, at, that have had a, uh, a rather profound, maybe not unique to Tim, but certainly unique to that time, um, and where he was able to contribute into broader technological um, advancements in the 70s and 80s. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and um, here we go with our discussion today. So Tim, here we are once again, hanging out in our favorite Saturday morning spot. True. Or at least one that does. They let let us stay. They let us come back. We haven't irritated enough people yet. Correct. Give us time. Keep keep working on that. Yes. So one of the things we're going to kind of in general over time talk about some of your work experience and the just the I guess the environment that you found yourself working in and and some how that was unique and yet in some ways similar but but I would say definitely unique to the to the time just like we look at today's working conditions and uh, how relationships are built and and difficult to do now that we're kind of on the other side of the pandemic and managers are trying to chase people back into the office that was never an issue for example back in in your day certainly not Uh, that's just one element that clearly makes it different but there was also kind of a different corporate approach i think very very much so uh we've used the the uh, reference you've i've heard you make it actually i've heard you make it this morning reference to uh uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. And uh, there, me. there are times that, that I would characterize my progression through my career as very Forrest Gump-like. Uh, that being the case that, that, that I found myself in very fortunate circumstances to be involved with projects within the corporate environment that I was in, projects that were very profound projects Mm -hmm. and i made contributions to those but the fact that i moved from one to the next to the next uh was perhaps as much dumb luck as planning uh or at least uh it it was planning on somebody else's part yeah and uh i was fortunate and in, in, to the extent that I was able to participate in about five or six sequential projects, which were profound, each profound in its own right. And I was involved at a very central level in all of them. I was only in, in relatively isolated instances was I the moving force within mm-hmm. those but there were there were a few instances where i w- was a moving force but more than anything it was a, a case of the the particular expertise that i had or the abilities that i had fit well within oh it's a team yeah, yes, absolutely and, and 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 i was i i i i look back on it and and i i have great fondness for for both the activities and great fondness for people that I was involved mm-hmm. with. Uh, it was a, it was a fortuitous uh, fortuitous situation, and it started literally for me right out of the box, if you will. Uh, I got my uh, PhD from Rice University in uh, mm-hmm. 1972, and I I may or may not have have, have observed in previous conversations that. As I was finishing up my degree, the degree actually was awarded in 1973, Mm -hmm. but I completed my oral defense of my dissertation in December of 1972, 
which in essence is, is right. the point Basically. where you finished up the degree work. Mm-hmm. But uh, in that period, 1972, uh, if you will, 1971, 1972, uh, I was a child of the space race. Mm-hmm. Uh, which began in 1957, and mm-hmm. it culminated in July of 1969 with the Apollo moon, moon missions. Yeah. And at that point, the political environment in the United States was such that people recognized the billions of dollars that were flowing into NASA at that time was an interesting pot of money. Yeah. And a lot of people wanted to spend that pot of money somewhere else besides space exploration. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we had the moon landings, the pressures, political pressures came to wind down the entire NASA endeavor. Winding down meant money flowed out, mm-hmm. if you will. And with the money flowing out, people flowed out. Now, right. the, the, the NASA organization of the 1960s had accumulated, I think, some of the most keen minds in the world mm-hmm. uh, to to do the development that that they did within a, a essentially a, an eight year period. Yep. To uh, to to go from the the uh, the Redstone rockets that launched the U.S. first satellite mm-hmm. to the Saturn V that launched the uh, the moon missions. Uh, within a within a, a less than a decade was was incredible. So as yep. people as people were exiting the NASA uh, environment, they were flowing out into the academic, largely into the academic environment okay. in the, the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, many went, I'm sure, went into other industries, but uh, being able to to create a Saturn V rocket. Uh, didn't necessarily put you in a good shape for lots of other, right. uh, other companies. Yeah. But it did put you in very good place to become a professor at a university. Mm-hmm. And so as I was getting my PhD and starting to, I always harbored these thoughts that I would, uh, would uh, go into academia, mm-hmm. uh, I suddenly found that I was looking at an environment of uh, uh, lots and lots of professorships that were filled with really good people. Literal rocket NASA. scientists. Literal rocket scientists, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I, uh, in looking around for a job, uh, uh, I, mm-hmm. I looked a little bit in academia, but uh, I was looking elsewhere as well. And I, uh, I had I, what I've always considered the very good fortune of, and, and with a, a bit of direction of an old family friend and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, placement office at Rice University, I ended up at Schlumberger. Which is in Houston as well. It is in Houston. Yep, right, yeah. yes. And, yep. and uh, uh, literally it was uh, it was only about a 10-minute a, a drive uh, <laughs> from my apartment, right? Yep. I, I lived kind of in central Houston, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a straight shot into downtown and out the Gulf Freeway, and lo and behold, you were there. But the point is that mm-hmm. uh, that that I had, uh, in the course of my academic career, I had I had learned computer programming very early mm-hmm. when I was in high school, and I had made use of computer programming in all of my academic work, and that totally dovetailed into what Schlumberger was doing at that time. Right, Schlumberger was moving from a world of analog electronics, uh, which was the, the 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 backbone of everything that they did into the world of digital computers. So the first, very first thing when I was hired, uh, I, I, I was able on my resume to list out 20 or 30 computer systems that I had programmed and mm-hmm. uh, list out a number of actual commercial software packages that I had developed. So mm-hmm. it had been sold for money. And that was, that was uh, very interesting. So I, I, I was able to, to move into literally the ground floor of a major international corporation uh, moving from moving into the world of digital computers. Mm-hmm. And so the very first project that, that I, I, I was involved in was essentially uh, to take a mainframe computer mm-hmm. and uh, provide for remote job entry, uh, we characterized it at that time, from other cities around the nation. 
networking of computers was non-existent at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if so, if you had a uh, a large mainframe, and and and, and the, the the typical computer at the time was a mainframe, yeah. big computer, room size computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you wanted to use that computer, you relocated all of the people that were going to use it to be in the room next door to the room that had the computer Where the terminals in. were wired into the other room. That's yep. right. And so one of the, the innovative uh, things, and it was very innovative at the time, was the idea of putting a slightly smaller computer uh, in the cities around the country and connecting those in to the mainframe through dedicated telephone lines. Mm-hmm. And Slumberger had a project to do that and I was a nice new fledgling PhD. Here you uh, go. And here you go. Take yep. this. Take this, and, and do it. Now, a lot of the work was uh, the, the the detail programming work was actually done by uh, uh, some other folks, in mm-hmm. particular at that time uh, a group from uh, BBN, Bolt, Baronek, and Newman, <laughs> a small uh, Boston company at the time. People have heard of that name People over have time. Heard that, right, yep. right. Well, oh, they, there they, they are. <laughs> they were they were doing uh, they were doing. Uh, uh, some of the basic uh, programming work, and I was the interface to them, so I would accept their mm-hmm. work and and uh, and uh, uh, press a few buttons and do a few plugs and and uh, tailor the software to go on the machines that we had. Uh-huh. And we would we would bring in the small computers uh, into Houston, mm-hmm. put software on them, tailor them a little bit, and then they would be shipped out to. Uh, Traverse City, Michigan, uh-huh. Denver, Colorado, uh, uh, Oxnard, California. There you go, if you will. And and so I was I was responsible for for making that all happen. Mm-hmm. And that was a fascinating project because it got me in on the literal ground floor floor of uh, the the concept of networking mm-hmm. computers. And in the course of doing that. Uh, after about oh, eight years or so at working on that, we, we had uh, we had, <clears throat> had provided a, a good system for connecting uh, uh, cities around the country into okay. a mainframe computer in Houston. So the types of work being done across that through those terminals was is that similar to what what type of you got a mainframe sitting in Houston, let's say, right. and you're out in Oxnard, California, at a Schlumberger engineering office, I presume. Right. Are you, what what type of work, what's that, other than just the connectivity, the fact that, is it just a, another terminal at that point so that they could do what the people were doing in the room next to the mainframe? Yes, but basically, yeah. so so you were, you were looking at job control. Okay. Okay. So, so a, a terminal at that time was uh, an ASR thirty-five teletype. Okay. Clackety 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 clackety. Right. Gotcha. The uh, the first uh, video terminals came in later on in that project, but it was within mm-hmm. that time frame that we first started getting video uh, terminals in to do job control. But it was doing job control, entering control parameters. Entering raw data, so you would end mm. up with. And at that time, data came on a on an eight track uh, magnetic tape. Okay. Twenty four hundred foot reel of, of tape. So job control in the sense of there's a program that exists on the mainframe that expects inputs and and will generate outputs, and in order to tell the program where the data is for input scheduling things like that, is it is it literally just because IBM had a language they called JCL, right. and and I remember early in my career as a co-op student when I was working at the shipyard, that's what we were doing. We had a 3090 in the back room that was doing all this stuff, and I was in a software team. And to get our code to compile, you had to submit your code to the compiler. The compiler's a program, and I remember just tapping on the screen, you know, checking the JCL progress, the progress of my job to see if it had compiled and linked, and then I would go look at the output. Is that type of what was going on? That's, that's, that's in essence, what was going on. Right? Okay. Now, the, the mainframe uh, programming language was, Fort- was Fortran. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was all, it was all uh, scientific form- formula translation is the, uh, 
is the source of the acronym of Fortran. Well, now I know that. I've, I've lived my entire life and never knew what Fortran stood for. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Well, formula translation. Formula, cool. formula translation is uh, is is the is the, uh, the the source of the acronym. Yes. Cool. And and so uh, you do uh, enter it, in in essence the programming programs that were run the Fortran programs were uh, modeling programs. They were you were modeling uh, subsurface formations. Gotcha. Okay. And so uh, you had. The Schlumberger business at the time was to send a truck to a well site, drop a quote-unquote tool down the well, well site, mm-hmm. uh, down the well, the borehole. The borehole, yeah. And pull it up on the end of a cable and acquire data as you pulled it up. And, and it's and sending out sonar and getting returns and that type of stuff. There, there, you get- the, 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 the motto, the Schlumberger motto at the time was, if it wiggled and it was repeatable, we can sell it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there, 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 there was a, there was an extreme number of different technologies technologies used, in, used right? So yeah. there was there was some sending out sound waves and mm-hmm. recording it back. Uh, there was some simply recording the what was called the spontaneous potential of the subsurface formation. You put a ground in the in the put a ground. So like electromagnetic. Yes. Okay. So you, you you put a ground connector over here, mm-hmm. and then you put another electrode down the borehole, and you're essentially measuring the potential between mm-hmm. your ground connector and the the individual. They, they, you make a measurement every six inches coming up. Right. And and so you you you, you okay. You and this is the wireline data type stuff that kind of the the broad category of what that information was. That's right. Okay. And so you 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 wanted then uh, to to you 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 wanted to run a, a truck out of Minot, North Dakota, mm-hmm. and the truck would acquire tapes of data, and you needed to get that data as quickly as possible to Houston, mm-hmm. and to run the modeling programs on it, because you then use the the, the the people that were drilling the well would use that interpretation. To know well, okay, is there oil and gas here right. in a, a subsurface formation? Uh, how much is there, uh, and mm-hmm. can we produce it? Right. So there, right. there, there yeah. are characteristics of the subsurface formation that you try to, to mm-hmm. deduce, and you need that data. So you need to you need to because uh, you got the, people up there ready to you, you have you have the analysis team or basically the data collection team, of course. But you you want to you want to get that product right. out. And you need to then act as quickly as you can because you don't want them standing around. Right. In the earliest days, you 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 a, a shell oil or mm-hmm. would have an expert at interpretation of the wireline data, mm-hmm. and they would send that person to a well site, and Schlumberger would come out and acquire the data. Uh, Schlumberger would print a log, what was called a log. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, incidentally, Schlumberger was the greatest consumer of film in the world, save for Hollywood. Wow. So, uh, photographic film uh, was the mainstay of the Schlumberger truck. You Interesting. Would, you would acquire uh, signals from down hole, convert those through an analog computer into a... Uh, uh, a, a, a log, mm-hmm. a, a display on film, mm-hmm. which the Schlumberger engineer then went into a little dark room in his truck and developed <laughs> this uh, uh, several hundred foot roll of film, and he would then put that through a a uh, blue line, as in blueprint uh, copier, okay. yeah. uh, to make a paper log to like to magnify it out onto paper, right. Actually, it wasn't really magnifying. It was a straight one-to-one copy. Oh wow! So it was contact tape, basically. Yep, yep. You're doing okay. Yep. And and so you would you you would hand that to an interpreter mm-hmm. at the well site, and he would decide. Okay, yes, we need to we need to set casing, or we need to go down and perforate the casing at this level because twelve thousand five hundred feet down this hole, there's a six-foot section that contains oil and gas. Contains okay. gas. Yeah. Right. Or contains oil, and so we're going to go down and we're going to 
shoot a, a, a shape charge out through the casing into that formation, mm. make a hole, allow that to roll, flow into, flow into the, 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 the borehole pipe, which will then flow to the surface, right? Right, okay. So so the guy that could do this interpretation was a very valuable person. Sure. And there weren't a lot of them. Yep. And so as the oil and gas industry expanded, mm-hmm. uh, it became very beneficial if you didn't have to send them to the well site. Absolutely. If they could sit in their office, right? Mm-hmm. And so one way to do this was to move the data to Houston and to uh, do the number crunching, crunching there. At least the, at that point, place. he's only or he she only needs to be in one place, and that's at right. Schlumberger as opposed to all of Schlumberger's sites, and he could evaluate three, four, five sites a day or more. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so Summerjay's first, uh, uh, Summerjay really wanted to, to, to be the driver in this business. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do interpretation. And, and so uh, rather than having to only have interpretation experts in Houston, yeah. it would be beneficial to have them in 10 or 12 cities around the nation. Okay. Right. So they could be closer to the, to the fields in their particular mm-hmm. uh, geographical location. And and so uh, that was part of the that was that that was the work that I was doing during the 1970s. That was okay. the first wow. big project. And and um, uh, uh, over the years, I recognized that that my particular expertise, if you will, is to take complex systems and lash them together and make them work once. Mm-hmm. I was I was really good at that. Uh, Would you say that? <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that is. Uh, that's an exercise in abstraction. Uh, it, yes, very okay. much so. It, right. it, it, it is. How how do you how do you visualize uh, very uh, disparate entities or parts of a system or, or different systems? There may be a bunch of things that are trying to do the same thing, but because they were developed independently or without the other parts in mind, you're able to synthesize what the common activities are in all of those and then in a a way you're abstracting the problem of or the both the solution in place because you rarely start completely from scratch in in your case you had the mainframe and then you had the uh, software that came from BBN that you tailored to fit into that but then there's the of course the very specific and probably often changing and improving analytics that were being added both to the the main program in Houston and what the interface would look like and how that would impact the workflow and exactly and so forth. exactly okay. and 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 so I, I was I was I was kind of uniquely mm-hmm. uh, uh, positioned both positioned uh, and but that had a kind of a unique uh, uh, and it fit your aptitude and your technical and background right. yeah. And, cool. and so I could I could do that. I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't the only person in the world that could do that. Sure. But but yeah. I could do it, and I was in a, a really nice position to be able to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that was cool. Uh, so uh, what was going on here was an evolution of the idea of within large computer systems, where do you do work, right? And 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 how do you do it? And, and we still have that problem in spades today, mm-hmm. uh, and there probably aren't a very large number of people that actually understand that world today. We, we have lots of people that, that think they do, but mm-hmm. their vision uh, is very limited by the tools that we have available. And uh, so the idea that... Uh, 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 we, we, we have to worry about where do we store vast quantities of data uh, such that you can access it and do modeling on it and interpretation mm-hmm. and the like. Uh, that's, that's just an ongoing problem, and, and that, that was a problem that was showing up in 1973 uh, or, or, or so when I, I started my career within Slubbershade. And given the, uh, the, you know, it's, it was... Certainly, a, a priority for Schlumberger, as you said, to um, innovate in that area because that drove other parts of their business, and and so uh, wireline data acquisition, analysis, and and we'll get into uh, you know, like you said, this was just the first step, and 
that set the stage for the next step. And, and all of these, you know, BBN was even a, I mean, that was a household name in just modems and, 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 and basically communication at, at this kid's level. I, I'd heard of BBN as a, uh, a dial-up provider, I think, at one point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that reached consumer space. There's other stuff. Uh, I don't know where you're going exactly next, but I know eventually we get to, we get to space um, at some point. But all of that was building on basic techniques and physics and um, engineering to analyze subsurface uh, uh, geological structures. And now you've got all this data flowing in to Houston in this case, then shared with Clamar, I'm sure we spoke of last week. And you've got now all of these experts are able to see the data at nearly the same time and they don't have to be in Mino, they don't have to be in Oxnard or, or wherever. They can with the next step they can they can be anywhere. And so yes, handling that data, making really, sure that, really to the point they don't they don't have to be offshore West Africa, Nigeria. Yeah. They don't have to be in the North Sea mm. uh, because it's really difficult to get in those places, right? <laughs> it, and indeed. and uh, very often, it's actually very dangerous to get into those books, mm-hmm. both uh, for, for a variety of right. both political and uh, and uh, just uh, environmental physical, environmental yeah. uh, yep. capability. And so, uh, but on the other hand, the, the problem is complex, uh, or is 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 uh, is made more interesting, if you will, by the virtue of of Moore's law. Mm-hmm. Moore's law basically says that that. You, you double the the uh, uh, storage, uh, the ability of a device to store data. You you double that capacity about every 18 months, mm-hmm. right? And that's 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 something that's been going on for 50 years now. Yep. And you know you double something every 18 months over the course of 50 years, and you you're getting down to pretty small. So the point is today, yep. you can you can put what in 1972 were were just completely un, unheard of computing capacity you can actually put it at a well site today if you want to mm-hmm. right so so you can you can the laptops that, that that we have available here the laptop that you have sitting there is contains significantly it, it contains multiple times the computing capacity that NASA had in 1969 worldwide when they put the first people on the moon and just to storage and networking the the output wave file for the recording for this podcast, the last podcast made, was like 775 megabytes, right. and that uh, the first the first scientific computer, the first mainframe that we installed in Houston in 1974, had four 10 megabyte disk drives, mm-hmm. and the assumption was based on consultants that came in and helped to size that system the consultant uh, the, the the consensus was that that 40 megabytes would hold schlumberger for the next decade so and, and furthermore each of the uh, of the four disk drives were was about the size of a washing machine right? yeah oh yeah like, right big dudes and so you you think about uh, where, where 40 megabytes gets you today and it's not very far Yep. Right. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah. if I get back to the, uh, sure. the, the, the the progression a little bit, that 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 that, that was the first the first very interesting opportunity was to get into computer network. Indeed, in, mm-hmm. in general, so very classical landlines. Everything was a landline. You, you acquired it from the Bell system uh, because AT and T was or at, at the time was was essentially the carrier. Of uh, mm-hmm. of uh, telephone traffic, right? So, so on we, networking, it's it's basically hub and spoke. That's all you needed at that point. That's correct. Yes. Okay. And what what protocol was being used at that time? I mean, was it TCP/IP like we have today, or oh, was no, it something? No, no. T- TCP/IP yeah. was uh, was uh, uh, well, it was it was an interesting thing that came about later on. It was okay. It, it, okay, so. 
the the protocols were all proprietary protocols within the various companies. Mm-hmm. The the computers that we were using were were new up up until that time. Essentially, you buy a computer; it came from IBM. Mm-hmm. So in 1972, and it started in the late 1960s, but there was this upstart computer company called Digital Equipment Corporation. Another Boston concern. At one time, actually, when we were working on it in the 1970s, uh, Digital was the largest employer in the state of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you worked in, 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 in Massachusetts, there's likely chance you worked for there's likely a chance you work for DEC. Uh-huh. And so uh, DEC made uh, a mainframe, but their real claim to fame was that they were making... Uh, the minis. The mini computers. Right? right. And so that was what we were using for the remote job entry. Computers. And that hit your sweet spot. I mean, it that's, really did, that, yes. Yeah, so they read that, they read that really well. They did. Like, why take, why take IBM on completely head-on? We're going to have some yep. options here. And and, uh, and and so the, the, the deck with their mini computers, so this was on the path to personal computers, which weren't around yet. Uh, deck was able to uh, uh, provide mini computers. So these were these were small room-sized computers, if you will, as opposed to giant computer room. Computers. Were these before the PDP or were these they? These were the PDPs. They were the PDPs. Yeah. Okay. And, and while we're at it, what's PDP? Uh... I Sorry. Don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't. Re- I, That's fair. I'm it, not sure. Actually, I ever knew, but uh, I, okay. I, I, will, I will. I will take that as a uh, as something to look up. It, it, it wasn't a gotcha. It was because we were talking earlier about how memory. You know, it's like grass in the backyard. If you walk over it, it'll, it'll spring back eventually. It, it, but will, it, it really yeah. will. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the PDP was. You were. You were making actually, your way. Actually, I, I. I. I want to say what it really stood for was personal data processor. Okay. Okay. So. So it was. It was the earliest idea of a personal computer. Okay. Okay, but it wasn't something that I... The I average person would have in their... Yep. Yeah. The uh, uh, Ken Olson, uh, Ken Olson, who was the, the founder of digital, he was the brains behind it, mm-hmm. was very famously observed to comment, why would anyone want a computer in their home? Okay. Okay. Yeah. You, you can you can yeah. understand where what what happened after that, and the, and the fact that 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 you have to be pretty good at business to track where Digital Equipment Corporation is today. Yeah, I remember when Deck had uh, didn't Deck have something down in Houston at one point as well that then became HP or am I uh, Compaq? No, Compaq was in Houston. Well, and, and then Compaq swallowed up or got swallowed by HP. Right. Okay. Well, and, and digital was swallowed by compact. Okay, they're, they're, I'm just getting my alligators out of order. Oh yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And then, then, then HP. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know what happened to HP today. That's a that's a whole other thing too. Actually, Car- Carly Fiorino, who was the mm-hmm. head of uh, HP at the time, uh, famously ran for president and yep. uh, or tried to run for president in 2016. So we yep. we do know where, where where part of that went. Part of that went. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, so we're we're at PDP in in so Boston with, area. With a, with and, a, with a PDP, yep. a PDP mm-hmm. was actually small enough. A PDP, uh, PDP eleven. Okay. Okay. So so uh, the eleven uh, came about as uh, as uh, 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 gosh, where, where did it come from? Because these were sixteen bit machines. Okay. Right. So they were they were they were word length of uh, of sixteen bits. And uh, uh, the, the, the PDP-11, oh, actually, that was just a, that was a number designation. That was like a... Just a model number. A, a, a seven, that was a, yeah, like a, a, a 707, a 727, sure. 737. Yep. PDP-11 followed the PDP-10, which followed the PDP-8, which I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm not sure what a PDP-1 was. like Windows. We're missing a Windows 9 somewhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There, there was probably a PDP-1 and 2, et cetera, back there. Sure. But, the variants that I was uh, was familiar with uh, uh, introduced to was the PDP-11, and uh, it was small enough that, uh, or at least one variant of it was small enough that it could go into the rack in a truck, right? So that was a, right. the first computer we could actually put in a in a truck, so that could be used for data acquisition. 
it was small enough to put in a, a rack that could go into an office mm-hmm. and provided a remote job entry uh, port, portal mm-hmm. for a mainframe. And so that was that was that was my my job. And you were the PDP eleven Wrangler. Uh, I was one of them. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. And and, and so uh, that got me though into to computer digital networking, programming, networking, and, yeah. right? And, yeah. and digital programming and, and, and networking. And and so uh, as we we, we, we found out that, that there was great merit in being able to move data away from the well site. Mm-hmm. But as it happened, in order to move it away from the well site, what you had to do was to take the tapes that were acquired at the well site and drive them into one of our remote job entry right. stations where it could then be transmitted to the mainframe. And the the uh, So you still don't at that point have that kind of real time on site expert yet. Not yet. You you have the ability to gather data, put it in a digital form. And then take that same digital form in the form of tapes to this remote site and then do that analysis. And then kind of re- real-ish time, you know, at least, you know, that you didn't have to, it was reasonably, it, it, there was acceleration there. It, was, it wasn't perfect. Well, two, but, two things that you needed. So yep. it was, uh, we figured out we could move the data. You, you had uh, part, of the, part of the transmission protocol was an automobile or a mm-hmm. truck. Yep. You put that in a, in a truck, you hauled it into town. Yep. You transmitted it to Houston. Mm-hmm. From Houston, you could actually deliver a log into the office of a Shell employee across town. Sure. Or perhaps anywhere. Yep. But at that point, the that, that, that guy needed to do an interpretation, and he needed to get word back to the well site of, exactly. of what you want to do. How do you get word back to the well site? You reverse that path somehow? You don't have telephones at the well site. Right, but so you, re- if you if so, you fully so, reverse it, you're making tapes at the right, at the but, input but, but, site but, but, and but, dry, kicking them back to the truck. Right, but the, well, but, or, but, the, but the, the system that we had was 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 very unidirectional. If you ah, will. so your spokes only flowed in one direction. One direction, right? Ah. So so you couldn't get the same volume of data back to the well site at that time. Right? You basically, had to send a memo. Yeah, pretty much it. Or or. You you had a you had a you Phone had a call. guy close you had a guy close by the well site that you could get on the telephone. Gotcha. And you told him what to do, and then he drove back to the well site and did it. And they right? do it again and gather the data, see if they got what right. they thought they'd see. Yeah. So uh, it became uh, something of an interesting project to say, well, how can so we? So in a way, I'm sorry, I'm going to draw a parallel to what some That's other fine. conversations have been. You're, the loop's not closed. It's it's uh, it, as far as a full service data flow, um, it it's it's unidirectional in this mass volume of information. In other words, the richness of the information is one directional, uh, unidirectional, and you still absolutely need to close the loop. And the way you had to close the loop was get somebody on a phone who was knowledgeable about what they were being what they were hearing on the phone. And then being able to relay that to the truck operator, those engineers that were there, okay, we need to go here and look for this, which might be something different than what they were looking at earlier. Right, right. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. In, 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 the, in the end, it, the, the instruction that was sent back might be that uh, you, you perforate at, at 9,847 to 9,860 feet. Mm-hmm. Right, and and so you tell that to a uh, one of the operators at the well site, and they know what that means to, to do. Right, exactly. You, you, call, yep. you call Schlumberger again, and you give them the instructions that I want to perforate at this depth. Mm-hmm. Right, and and Schlumberger comes out and and loads up a tool which has shaped charges in it. Yep, which can blow a twenty-two to twenty-four inch deep hole into solid rock mm-hmm. through that shaped charge. And you lower the tool down the borehole, so you, you put it four miles down in the ground on the end of a steel cable, which at that depth, the steel cable looks like a rubber band. Oh, it's yeah. bouncing up and down, <laughs> and you've got to position that steel cable within a 12-foot section four miles down in the ground. There's still a bit of performance art left to go. There really is. There really is. Uh, but but yep. that's part of the problem. Yep. Okay, so so it it it, 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 
if you look at that now, mm-hmm. uh, look at the, the various aspects of the problem, sure, it became very interesting to think, well, how can we solve that last mile problem, if you will, from the well site into the office, right? How do we make that a bi-directional, high-speed mm-hmm. data link? Can we, can we do that? So protocol-wise, this was proprietary DEC protocol combined with BBN protocol combined with AT&T protocol. This, this was proprietary on top of proprietary. Well, it was it was proprietary once you get, until you got to AT&T. AT&T mm-hmm. was basically all hardware protocols. Okay. Okay, if you will. So it was it was direct signaling. It was a black box to you guys. Right. You had an AT&T box on one side and another one on the other end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but. But it was it was it was standardized. Connection connections were standardized. Signaling on the wire was standardized, mm-hmm. if you will. But but you were dealing at that level, uh, not at the level of standardizing the bits that flow through those those signal wires. As far as flow control, were they able to do bidirectional flow control? That yes. Was, okay, so yeah. it would just be potentially something you could, as an intermediate step, reverse that flow so that you have. If you had the physical channels to do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the protocols could. You would could, need could a it. parallel, or, or anyway, you yeah. you need the right pipes. Right. Okay. And and so that that became the next problem. How do we, how do we extend the pipe, mm-hmm. if you will, all the way to the well site? And when you when you think about the problem, after about twelve seconds or so, at at that time, if you're thinking about it, this is in in 1979. Okay, I was going to say we started in seventy two, seventy three. You said about eight years, so pushing 80, but probably around 76, 77 is when you guys were really noodling, how do we take this to the next step? Right, starting starting to doodle it, right, and and, and, and it, it really came to a culmination in, in 1979, if you will, mm-hmm. and the, uh, uh, the mar- it was a marketing team within, uh, within Stumberger, um, a, uh, a field engineer, Field engineers, uh, if you will, uh, at, at Slumberger was a little bit like graduate school, and your your dissertation, if you will, from mm-hmm. from uh, your your uh, initial field engineer training, was to write a paper that through which you became what was called a a general field engineer, and so you wrote a dissertation. Uh, one uh, one gentleman, one field engineer, wrote a dissertation about extending the data communication channels to a well site through a satellite link. Okay. And so that was effectively his thesis after working his, in the field for for a couple of years or, right. or whatever. It's like, generally a 30-month period, right? Okay. So, so this is another unique corporate environment development thing that's, in my opinion, very different now versus in the past and I, and I don't want to interrupt the story but I, I want to come back to that later in the sense no, of that's that's a you're, you're you're getting at a significant part of the of the story if you will yeah go for it so so in, in essence uh, uh, this was this was pro- projected or proposed as a marketing uh, activity mm. it wasn't a pure technical activity sure so they they, uh, they 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 transferred the engineer that uh, that did this transferred him into Houston, mm-hmm. uh, put him in the marketing organization and pointed at at engineering and mm-hmm. said we 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 need a, an engineering project to make this happen, and so that was my my second dumb luck project. I was in a position that that uh, I was uh, I was handed off to. That team to work, uh, and you were still very active. I'm, I'm assuming in this, the 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 creation of the digital connection, and and the PDP 11s. They're already in the truck. They're probably PDP right. 15s by then, or whatever. But, Who knows? But, but I was, yeah. but I was in a wind down stage uh, with that project. Uh, yeah, yeah. Essentially, mm-hmm. it had been passed off. As I say, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty good at making something work the first time. And then it became a project to transfer that off to other people that were going to make it work continuously. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, so you would be like a new product introduction engineer type, you know, yeah. take an idea, build it in a way that it can be used, not right. in a, you know, in, and then, then you go to industrialization. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much it. 
So anyway, I I I I I, I, as, I was a big good mm-hmm. position that the one project was winding down, and I, I got the opportunity to work on a new project. And indeed, it was presented to me. Uh, would you would you would you really like to work on this project? I said sure, I would. Mm-hmm. And the, the next question was, would you work, like to work on it well enough that you'll relocate to Austin from Houston? Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So Schlumberger at the time was uh, essentially uh, expanding, if you will, almost in an academic-like fashion, and mm. they were they created several uh, advanced research facilities around the world mm-hmm. almost simultaneously uh one in tokyo uh, uh one in uh, ridgefield connecticut there had been a long time facility in ridgefield but it was augmented to become a, a very much of a of a leading edge uh scientific uh, development technical development center mm-hmm. and Schlumberger was was recruiting and was finding it a little bit more difficult at that time to get people to move, highly technical people, if you will, PhD types doing research, to get them to relocate to the industrial section of Houston. Yeah. And so they started looking around and, 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 and came down to the point that, well, we'll open a system center in Austin, mm-hmm. Austin pretty place uh, yeah oh yeah it was it, and at that time in 1978 or 1980 it was very much uh the backwoods of the technical world uh, exactly which, which is kind of funny to think about austin today but at that time it really was a, a backwater it, it was it was a, a from a technical standpoint yeah we I, I eat just in the 20 years 21 years i've been here it's exploded it was on you know it was well underway as as um, I'm not telling you anything new, but you know, 2001 when I got here, um, 620 was still a two-lane road, mm-hmm. and and so what, what what I'm saying is, you know, good old and, and <clears throat> RM 620 or FM 620, depending on which stretch of it you were on. It, you're right; it was beautiful. When you look at the the the, uh, the facility map from MapQuest at the time, my first time I came out, I didn't know if I was looking at the site. Or a bunch of trees, because it was all integrated into these uh, live oak trees. The parking lot had trees. You, you're literally, it was amongst the trees. So it, 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 the, 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 uh, we'll, we'll need to talk about sure. more at some point. Yeah. But the, the, and the Slumberjay facility was built on the far west side, essentially almost to Lake Travis. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was a design feature that you could not see a building from the parking lot. Yes, and that was a fact. That was, you, you could not, and that was a design goal, if you will, or a stated design goal mm-hmm. to the engineering firm that developed it. So, so Schlumberger wanted to keep research in Texas close enough to Houston, but in order to attract the talent they needed, they're like, hey, let's... Let's put it out here and sure. In, in and and the, the, the two big choices were, were Austin or the uh, Triangle, uh, uh, North Carolina, North, in, uh, area in North Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so uh, uh, there wasn't any Schlumberger facility close to the Triangle area. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, you know, you, you it's you just a three-hour drive to Houston, Austin. So yeah, yeah. you put a bunch of eggheads out here. You need to keep <laughs> the rain over them somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 so they need to be within within striking distance, if you will, from Houston. And and that and it worked out well. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I, as I say, it was posed to me: Would you like to work on this well enough? And this activity was intended to be yep. housed. Well, and actually, and that, that it actually wasn't became, in that facility yet. It was they were it was getting started. It was yeah. getting started. Literally, yeah. we, we operated. We, we actually did uh, most of that development of that system out of temporary facilities mm-hmm. uh, in in North Austin. Yep. Uh, but nonetheless, yep. uh, I had a I had a uh, I had a three-month-old daughter, mm-hmm. uh, at the, or excuse me, a three-year-old daughter at the time. Get the age of my daughter right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I had a young daughter, yep. uh, and and uh, uh, my wife and I had uh, had talked a bit about uh, uh, where to raise uh, where to raise the family, and, mm-hmm. and raising a family in Austin actually sounded yeah. kind of preferable to perhaps raising one in, in Houston at the time. Yeah. And so that was. Uh, 
That was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a decision, but it was pretty easy. It was another happy coinkadink. It really kind was. of fit what you wanted, yeah. Needed. So, so I got to, I got to, got, got to launch on to to do project and uh, and um, and uh, launch on to move to Austin and worked out worked out very well. Well, let's pick it up there okay. next time. We'll get get into the get into the Austin and sounds uh, great. And so we were going from. From terrestrial to space now. We're going to go to, going to, go to space and uh, and uh, also touch on the the retroactive action of moving from the frontier of technology to the internet. There we go. The, the internet was a large, large step back. Hmm. It, it was a it was a retrograde advance. It took us to a much less capable technical environment. Interesting. And we are still paying the price for that today. Well, there's a neat teaser for uh, next time. for our next episode. Sounds great. Sounds great, Tim. Thanks. Good Enjoy. to see you. Enjoy it. And that brings to a close the conversation portion of today's episode, episode 16 of The Mike Newman Show. This work is a work in progress, and I value your feedback in any form email, boostagram, a note on your PayPal contribution, or in the comments thread that you can find when listening to this podcast on a new podcast app. You can find those new podcast apps, not surprisingly, at newpodcastapps.com, all of which you can find links to at the show's website, which is at mikenewman.show. And also not surprisingly, you can drop me an email at mike at mikenewman.show. Trying to keep it simple. This is a value-for-value production. What is value-for-value, you say? Well, I mention it at the end of each episode, and you're probably like, yeah, you're reading this. Absolutely, I am. But it may be new to you, so I'll give you a little more detail. Quite simply, it's a mutual exchange of value between the producers of this podcast, pretty much me and Tim, and those who receive value from listening in. Hopefully that's you. Of course, there are literally millions of podcasts available to anyone on the planet with an internet connection. If you find yourself coming back to this show, ask yourself, how much value am I receiving personally? It'll be different for everyone, every time. But if you keep coming back, at least be honest with yourself, you're deriving a value of some amount to spend the time here. I certainly didn't invent this value for value model, far from it. I'm convinced it's a long-standing model embedded in our psychology that we've largely ignored due to the name-it-and-pay-it model of essentially scanning price tags and paying the seller. Zero feedback. By listening to this podcast through an app found at newpodcastapps.com and reading through the draft version of a fantastic explainer on value for value at value4value.info, you may start to see how you can send financial support and incentive back to the show with integrated messaging called Boostagrams. Or, like I said earlier, hit my PayPal link and send us some Megas money. And, of course, through email to send me back content ideas, constructive criticism, encouragement, whatever. I value your feedback. Tim and I really do enjoy uh, the mornings at the diner and our conversations there, and we look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, stay awake, not woke, my friends. Romans 5.8.